We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 56. Last week we left off with the words of the Havot Levavot that basically tells us that the Hashem has four types of systems or four ways that He teaches us in this world. We spoke about Yisurin, suffering, personal, of all of different kinds. We spoke about learning from other people's Yisurin. And the third one we're going to do today. We're not going to get to the fourth one. The third one says the Havot Levavot is Hagorem Shlishi. The third cause or the third lesson Excuse me, he calls it the second one, but it's our third. He says that Hashem will be Mokhiyah. Mokhiyah means that Hashem is going to send the person rebuke. He says, how does he send the person rebuke? He says either through a prophet of the generation, if he's living in that type of, uh, in that time, or he says through the Torah, or through some righteous person that will awaken him or her to do what is good and right. So that's lesson number three. Lesson number three on the curriculum is that Hashem will, will find ways for that person to be criticized, to be rebuked through different channels. Hashem has different channels. He named a few, but there are more than that. Now, before we get directly involved in that subject, about us getting rebuked, I think it's important to set down a very important foundation here. Nobody likes this subject. Nobody likes to be criticized. And I don't think even people like to be going to a class on the subject. But I think it's important to lay down a foundation. And that is a very simple, simple foundation. The Torah teaches us that any love, any relationship of love that doesn't include rebuke or criticism is a false love. That means if you would show us two friends that love each other, but they never ever rebuke or tell each other anything that's wrong with them, even though they see it. So you know for a fact that there isn't real love between these two people. Because any relationship of love must have in it an ingredient of tochaha. Again, I'm not going to say the rebuke, the word from now on, we'll say the word tochaha. 
How do I know that? If you look in the Torah, we all are familiar with the commandment, We know that we are obligated to love and to show love every person that we meet. Not just the people that we like and not just our neighbors or friends. Any person. That pasuk is found in Parashat Kedoshim. Right before that pasuk, the Torah talks about the mitzvah of Tochaha. It talks about what it says, Hochayah Tochiyah et Amitecha. Make sure that if you see your friend or anyone that you should care for, if they're doing something to hurt themselves, whether they're aware or not, you need to go and figure out how to give them tochaha. And then the next pasuk talks about the mitzvah to love every person. In fact, the pasuk before the mitzvah of tochaha talks about the following. It says, Lo ta'amod al dam re'echa. Which means that God forbid you see a person drowning, you're not allowed to just keep walking. You have to stop and figure out a way to save them, even though it wasn't your fault. All these commandments have one theme. It's the theme of love and care. If you love somebody, you don't, you don't walk by if they're getting hurt and you could help them. If you love somebody, you do not watch them self-destruct and say, well, what can I do? It is what it is. It's their fault. It's their problem. It's their decision. It's their life. That may be the American standard to each his own, but to each his own is a type of indifference that shows that you don't really care for the other person. A mother would never say, oh, well, it's his decision, even though I know he's destroying his life. It is what it is. If a mother would do that, then you have to question if she's a real mother or there's something really wrong with her. That is why parents are the one that criticize their children more than anybody else criticizes them. And that is why children get annoyed with their parents more than anybody else. It seems to a child like everybody else just loves him. Everyone is telling him how wonderful he is. Everywhere he goes, he gets compliments. And when he gets home, he just gets ripped apart. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't wake up, you don't sleep, you don't talk, you don't. And after a while, the kid feels like, why do I feel uncomfortable in this house? Everyone else loves me, except these people. They're all over me. How come parents are the ones that criticize the most? Because they love the most. Because where there's love, there must be tochaha. If there's no tochaha in the relationship, it's lacking ahava. It's lacking love.
In many places in the Torah, Torah Shebikhtav and Torah Shebaalpeh, we find that the definition of true friendship is a friendship that has in it reprimand and tochaha. Any friend that supports your negative habits and doesn't try to help, any friend that ignores things about you that he knows or she knows that can be better, any friend that doesn't pay attention to anything negative in your life that they can try to help is not a real friend, is not a haver amiti. There are a lot of companions in life. But a real friend tells you or shows you or figures out a way for you to know through different systems, just like Hashem has different types of lessons, so he will figure out a way to get to your head that this needs to change. This cannot continue. You're hurting yourself. He cannot stand by while you're drowning in life. He must do something. In fact, the word in Hebrew that's used in the Torah, we would have expected the word haver. Haver means hibur. Hibur means to be connected. That's what we usually call a friend in Hebrew. But yet in the Torah, it doesn't say, Ve'ahavta lahavercha kamucha. Interesting. It doesn't say, haver. It says, Lere'acha. Which also translates, friend. But what does the word, Re'acha mean? Where does it come from? Why not, Havercha? Haver makes sense. Like I said, Hibur. We're connected, we're friendly. What does Re'acha mean? Where does that word come from? Rav Hutner Alava Shalom locates the source of this word Re'acha that it's the same family as the word Teru'ah. We know that on Rosh Hashanah, the Torah commands us, Yom Teru'ah Yihyeh Lachem. It's a day where you have a mitzvah of teru'ah. What is teru'ah? So the Targum says, Yom Yebaba. The word Yebaba means crying. When you make that breaking sound in the shofar. We know the shofar has a number of sounds. The main sound is the middle one. The one before and after is just kind of like a setup. That straight sound. That's called tikiah. But the real sound the Torah is asking us to focus on is Yom Teru'ah. It's the broken sound of cries. It's not a straight sound. There are different types of broken sounds. We call them Shevarim or Teru'ah. But the bottom line is the word Teru'ah means the sound that is broken. What does it have to do with a friend? So Ruta says, Allah Shalom, that Re'acha, a true friend, and the true purpose of friendship, 
is to have someone that could break you up. Someone that sees that something is wrong and he's able to disrupt what you're doing because you could be better than the way you're acting. You could do better than the way you're talking and the way you're involving yourself in certain things. A true friend could see what probably nobody could see. If you really want to know who somebody is, you ask them who their really good friends are and if they'll be honest with you. And if they're a good friend, they probably won't. But if they're a good friend and they'll be honest with you, you will find out everything about that person. Re'acha is a person who not only knows what's about you, but he's willing or she's willing to break you up. To break down what you're doing if it's something that isn't good for you. That's why the Torah uses In fact, by a wedding, when we speak about the Hatan and Kala, we say, We wish that Hashem will bring happiness to who? Re'im Ahuvim. Re'im, not Haverim. We don't call the Hatan and Kala Haverim, friends, Haver. No, they're Re'im. Why the Re'im? How can we use that word, not Haver? Beloved Re'im. Beloved ones that break each other. Sounds familiar to a lot of people. But it's not meant to be that way. The Torah says, when it came to the marriage of Adam Arishon, Hashem says, Lo tov. It isn't good. Heyot ha'adam levado. It isn't good for a person to be alone. Now, it doesn't mean because he will be lonely. That's a silly way of learning the Pasuk. Because Hashem created loneliness. That doesn't, Hashem could make him not lonely. The sun isn't lonely. The moon isn't lonely. They don't have such a, a, a feeling. A human could have been created by himself and they're not lonely. Why isn't it good for a person to be alone? The word lotov means that he can never be tov. A person by himself can never be tov, can never be better, can never be perfect. The word tov in Hebrew, in the Torah Hebrew, means perfect. Lotov, a person can never be perfect. Like we discussed last class or maybe two weeks ago, that a person cannot see their own faults. So how could they be perfect if they're blind to their own faults? So Lotov, how could they become Tov? By themselves, Hashem says, therefore, the first marriage in history and the recipe for the rest of history is, Hashem says, let me make for him, let me make for him someone that's going to help him, help him become Tov. How would you help him become Tov? So if we were to choose a havruta, or we were to choose a roommate, we would usually choose someone who is most like us. 
They like the same music like us. They like to wake up the same times as us. They like to sleep the same times as us. They like the windows open. They like the windows closed. They, like, they have all the things that we have so that we become most comfortable and we will get along in the best way. That is so logical. You would never choose as a roommate someone who sleeps early and you sleep late. They wake up early, you wake up late. They like it cold, you like it hot. They like to make a lot of noise, you don't like to talk. They like to read, you like to party. It doesn't work. So obviously, logic says that you would choose someone who is most like you. But yet Hashem, the creator of the world, did the opposite. He said, I'm going to find you someone to help you. And who am I going to make? Kenegdo. I'm going to make someone who is completely opposite you. And there you have it. Men and women. Totally opposite creations. They really have nothing to do with each other. If you study men really well, and if you study women really well, the more you get to know men and women, you realize they're just different kind of humans. They're both called human, but they're different kind of humans. They think different. They feel different. They need different. Their whole way of life is different. And the truth is, even teaching a man and a woman, it's a different kind of teaching. It's a different kind of relating to a person. How you relate to that person is not the same as to a woman. Hashem says, I'm going to make this woman who is going to be kenegdo, opposite him. Why would Hashem do that? Doesn't he want Adam to be happy? Of course he wants him to be happy. But the only way he can be happy is if he becomes tov. He needs to become tov. He needs to become great. And there's no one that's going to bring out his greatness than someone who's not like them. Because anyone like him will say, oh wow, that's beautiful. That's exactly what I do. Oh, that's great. That's exactly like me. Kenegdo is someone who does not like you. Because that will push you to be a better person. Women have things that men don't have. And they need to improve on. But you need to be a Kenegdo to be a good friend. That is the first marriage of the Torah. That is the definition of Re'im Ahuvim. We don't say Haverim. It's meant that women and men are not the same. It's meant that they should be different. It's meant that they should bring out each other's differences in a good way. It's not meant that they should just always complement each other in exactly the same way, because they would never grow that way. That is the purpose of friendship. The Gemara brings a beautiful story about two great rabbis, Rabbi Yohanan and Resh Lakish. They had an interesting past. Rabbi Yohanan was a great sage, a great rabbi. Resh Lakish was head of the mafia. He was a disaster. He was not a good guy. Very rough character. And one day the Gemara says that Rabbi Yohanan was bathing. That was the way they would shower in those days. And all of a sudden he saw this man, Rish Lakish, jumping into the lake 
but like no one ever jumped before. The energy, the fire. Who knows, maybe he did flips. Maybe he was doing, I don't know what he was doing. And he lands in the water. And Rabbi Yohan looks at him and says, you know something? You're a powerful man. He says, wouldn't you use your power for Torah? Do something good with the energy God gave you. Are you wasting your life in what you're doing? So Rabbi Yohanan happened to be a very good-looking man. And Rish Lakish turns to him and says, You know, he says, I want to tell you, your beauty, Rabbi Yohanan, it belongs to a woman. He says, You're a beautiful man. Okay, I guess he didn't hear anything Rabbi Yohanan told him. So Rabbi Yohanan told him, You know something? I have a sister that looks just like me. I'm willing to work on this shidduch <coughs> that you will marry my sister if you commit that you will turn your energy into good, into Torah. Are you willing? He got him in his weakness. He says, I'm in. And he got married to his sister. And the story, as they say, is history. These two became Havrutot for many years. In fact, probably every page of Gemara that you open, you'll find Rabbi Yohanan and Resh Lakish. And usually you find them arguing. You're always arguing. He says, he says white, he says red, he says cold, he says hot. They're always arguing. And they were learning together for years and years. They became Havruta. They became Ra'im Ahubim. Resh Lakish passes away. Rabbi Yohanan is left without his Havruta. That's what he did all day, learn with Rish Lakish. And he's down. He misses him. But not only he misses him as a friend, he misses him in learning. So they saw, the sages saw that Rabbi Yohanan is not himself. So they say, you know what, we're going to go for a hunt. We're going to find the best top Talmid Chacham that we can find so he can become a Havruta. It's not easy to find a good Havruta. It's like getting married. You have to find the, the right shidduch. You got to go out. It doesn't work. It's not so simple. Okay. They went, they went, they went, they went. They found the top of the top. His name was Rabbi El-Azhar ben Pedat. Gadol. They said to Rabbi Yohanan, we found him. This man is huge. You're going to love learning with him. He's a fountain of wisdom. They sat down to learn. As they're getting to know each other, every time Rabbi Yohanan says something, Rabbi Pedat, Rabbi Lazar ben Pedat says, Rabbi, he says, wow, what an item you just said. Let me give you 24 proofs why what you said makes sense. And he starts listing. Next item, another thing, another proof. What a, you would love that Havruta. Imagine. Everything you say, not only they agree with you, they tell you, I'll bring your proofs. Amen. You're so smart. You're so, they say, Amen. They say, Baruchu Baruch Everything. Everything you say, imagine you walk around your house and anything you say goes. You're always right. You're always on top. Beautiful. Okay? Stop dreaming. It's not happening. I just, I just said, imagine. What a beauty. Everything you say, top. So by the end of the session, Rabbi Yohanan says, you know something? 
I really miss Rish Lakish. I really, I don't think I want to learn with you anymore. He says, what do you mean? What a day we had together. Everything you said, I brought you proofs. He says, don't you understand something? He says, Rabbi Yohanan, Rish Lakish, every time I would talk, he would bring me 24 questions on what I say. And every question would help me understand what I was saying, if it was right or wrong, or figure it out and make it better. He said, when I say something, I know I'm right. That's why I said it. I don't need you to prove that I'm right. I need to show me what I'm not right. I need you to show me why it could be wrong so that we can come to a greater understanding and clarity. That is the purpose of friendship. Friendship has a purpose. It's not for someone to massage your ego. Again, it's not popular in this country. But that is the true purpose of friendship. The true purpose of friendship is that our differences elevate us. Is that your difference elevates me. And my difference elevates you. Because if we're alike, then the good will be better and the worse will get worse. Because we're the same. As a connectors, not only in marriage, it's in all friendships that have in them love. Lotov. You can never be good just by yourself or with someone like you. That is why Shlomo Melech says, Hosech Shifto, a parent who stands by their children while they're self destructing and they hold back their stick. Stick doesn't mean a stick to hit. A stick could mean a comment. A stick could mean involvement. A stick could be talking to their friends. A stick could be different types of sticks. Your indifferent attitude as a father, says Shalom Melech, you may look at yourself as someone who is so loving because you don't get involved. Says Shalom Melech, if you don't get involved, you hate your son. Doesn't mean you hate him the way we say hatred, but it means you don't love him enough. Ve ohavo, but if you love him, shiharo musar. The word shiharo shahar means even early on in his life, even in the early stages where it's not a big deal. What's the big deal? He just said that to his sister. It's not a big deal. But you are thinking ahead for him. And already you're giving him the Musar. So important is the subject of Tukhaha that Hazal tell us that's the Pasuk I mentioned earlier that commands us to rebuke Hazal says, Afilu What if you rebuke someone once and then twice and they don't listen to you? Then what? Says the Torah, you never give up. If you love someone, you never give up. Again, you don't say the same words because that would be foolish. You may have to change strategies. You got to figure out other channels. But you don't say, I did my job. I'm done. I'm out. If you're done, there's something missing in your Ahava. Continues the Gemara and says in Baba Metziah, Afilu 
Talmid Lerab. Even a student cannot give up on his rabbi. That means a student sees something in his rabbi that's not so good. Now we know how much you have to respect your parents, your rabbi. But yet, when it comes to tochaha, if you see something wrong with your rabbi, he's not talking right, he's not behaving right, he obviously doesn't realize, hopefully he doesn't realize. So you have to tell him. Again, how to tell him, in what words, through whom to tell him, but you cannot say, no, no, that's my rabbi, it's not my business. It's your business. Everybody's your business. You cannot live your life where your business is yours. Your business is everybody's business. You need to worry and help if you can. Shlomo Amela says in such beautiful words, look at these words. He says in Mishle. You know, in general, we love people to just compliment us. We just love to be around those people. We don't like people who give us critique. We love the rabbis who get up and just tell us how sweet and beautiful we are, how awesome we are, how kind we are. That's the type of people that we love. But you should know and take it as a rule. Any rabbi, any teacher that you have that doesn't get up and tell you you're doing something wrong, they don't love you. They don't care about you. Because if, if everything they say is good and they're afraid to say something not good, that means they don't love. It's a simple fact. Again, we love to be around those who love us and we love to be loved too. You think anybody wants to tell somebody they're doing something wrong? Who wants that headache? Who wants other people to look at them negatively? But if you love somebody, you're willing to take the risk. It's more important to me that you become a better person than that you should love me. That's what once I told a student who was very upset at something that I told him. And I said those words to him. I said, I love you too much to allow you to get hurt. And even if you will hate me for the rest of your life, I'm willing to take that risk. Because your life is at stake. Says Shlomo Melech, more beautifully than I just said it. He says, Ne'emanim ohev. The word Ne'eman means trustworthy. He says, the blows of a beloved one when a beloved person takes a shot at you and tells you something, it hurts. Ouch! But you should know that's someone you can count on. Ne'eman. That's someone that's a keeper. That's someone that you stay close to. Ne'emanim pitz'e ohev ve'na'atarot neshikot soneh and the kisses of your enemy, who's always telling you how beautiful you are, how sweet you are. Of course, there's room for that too. But if that's the theme always, that you're great, wonderful, perfect, 
He calls them Neshikot Sone. Neshikot Sone. The kisses of the one who hates you. That means if someone is always throwing you kisses and you have a real relationship and it's always Neshikot, there's something wrong. They don't like you. It means they don't care for you. Na'atarot means damaging. Their kisses are damaging. They're hurting you. This relationship isn't doing good for you. So we built that foundation. It's a very important foundation. There is no loving relationship without tochaha. It doesn't exist. Now, granted, you have to learn how to give rebuke. You have to have good timing. You have to have the right tone. You have to right to have the right investment. You can't just go up to someone in the street that you don't know and start rebuking them. You have to build with them a relationship. They have to see that you care for them. It's an art to give tochaha. But a relationship void of tochaha is not a loving relationship. That is clear and obvious. With that said, that's not really what I came to talk to you about. I came to talk to you about something totally different. It's obviously connected, but totally different. Totally because it involves not the person who is giving the tochaha. It's involving the person receiving it. You know, it's very interesting just to think a little bit together. If you would stop someone in the street, if somebody's looking for someone's house, they keep looking at, no, they go to the next one. And they're two blocks over every house they drive, they stop, they go out, not down. And you know they're looking for the house that's on the other side. And you would stop them and say, aren't you looking for the engagement party? It's two blocks the other way. You're driving the wrong way. I bet they would give you a hug and kiss. They would say, wow, thank you so much. You saved me another half hour. Thank you. I can't believe I love you. I guess it didn't work. <laughs> you gotta give a stronger review. <laughs> Imagine a person's collar would be up at a social gathering and they look so foolish. They have their shirt on, their tie and jacket. But their collar is up. Everyone sees them and says, <laughs> so weird. And one just walks by. And of course you that knows, because you went to this class, and you say, wait, I care for that person, has he? You say, stop. Drop your collar. And I know you probably didn't realize. And he goes, oh my gosh. I've been walking every half hour like this. 
I can't believe it. Thank you so much. I can't believe it. So people appreciate when you correct them. You help them find the right house. You help them put their shirt in order. Beautiful. But it's so shocking that as you get to something more important, so to find the address, no big deal. You probably would have found it at some point. To lower his collar, okay. What about like something more important than that? Like themselves. You correct them about something to do with them and their happiness and their values and their marriage and the way they raise their children. Those are important things. The way they're talking to others, the way they're living their life. Imagine you would tell them something about the way they're handling themselves in a marriage. So, you know, I saw the way you're talking to your wife. I don't know. It's not, I don't think that's the right way. I don't think you're going to be happy that way. So you probably think, the person saying, wow, when you helped me for the address, I hugged you. When you helped me for the kala, I kissed you. And now you're helping my marriage? I'm, what could I buy for you? Where do I deliver the flowers weekly? You're going to get for another year. That's what you would think. Because colors and addresses are so minute. Happiness and marriage? Raising your children? Whoa, big. Your eternity? How much is that worth? Someone tells you, by the way, you're going to Gehina. Just want to tell you. Just want to tell you. Your actions are no good. You're going to be in Gehinnah in this world and next world. No good. This is no good. Look at the way you talk. Look at the way you act. What are you doing? You're always angry. You're always upset. You're always yelling. What are you doing? You would think it's going to be a lifetime supply of gifts. And it's strangely enough, when you get to more important things like that, instead of getting gifts, you get hostility. The same person that you corrected the collar who loved you and you gave him a rebuke on the way they talk to their wife and they're going crazy. They're not happy with you at all. In fact, you may have lost a friend. How could that be? How could it be that people are so appreciative when you give them tochaha on small things, but when you get to more important things, now they don't like it. How does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. They should give you the biggest hug. And by the way, even if you're wrong, they should say to you, you know what? Thank you for caring about me. I don't agree with you, but I know you did it for a good reason. Thank you. I asked somebody else, he thinks that's the right way. Great, no problem. But the very fact that you tried to help me in something so important, like raising my children, what's more important than raising successful, happy children? Thank you. Thank you so much. You never get that. You're never going to get that. You're lucky if they don't punch you back. You're lucky if they just don't say anything. 
why? More important, more gratitude. Why less? Where is the hostility coming from? What am I doing to you? I'm telling you something because I want to help you. Again, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just trying to help you. So why are you getting angry? Why are you getting mad at me? I think all of us have been in this position. I think we've been in both positions. That's why it's so relevant and so close to home. But we must understand why. There is a reason why. And when you understand it, things start to fall into place. So I'm going to tell you the number one reason why we don't like to be rebuked. Not about colors and addresses. Those we don't mind. Anything unimportant, we don't care. We're happy to be told. But when something is real and important and close to home, we don't like it. Number one reason. I'm not saying it's the number one. The one that we're giving today is number one. You know, unfortunately for us, we live in a very competitive world. Hashem created inside every human the desire to compete. Now this desire to compete has a tremendous value. It's a gift. Because if not for the desire to compete, people would be satisfied with who they are. They would never say, well, I can do better. I can do more. Why should I stop here? I mean, I've done very good till now, but why not do more? The competitive spirit in us doesn't allow us to rest just because we did good, because we could do better. Not just better, we could do even better than that, and we could be the best. It's a gift that Hashem gave us, because without it, we would just be satisfied by being mediocre and staying mediocre. And humans weren't created to be mediocre. We were created to be godly, big. So what did Hashem supply us with to make sure that we never remain stagnant and satisfied like a monkey is satisfied, like a squirrel is satisfied? All the animals in the world, they're very satisfied. They get what they get and they're done. They don't reach for more. They're not jumping higher. Humans... It almost seems impossible to satiate them because they have the competitiveness inside of them. The purpose of competitiveness is to compete against yourself. That you should look at yesterday's you and say, today's me is better. Last year's me, well, I used to be that last year, no more. I used to get so angry, I don't do that anymore. I used to be more selfish, today I'm different. I used to spend my time now it's more wise. I spend it more wisely. Competitiveness is that every day we wake up and say, we're better than we were yesterday. That's what it's meant for. But like every gift that Hashem gives, it can easily be used for something negative. And the negative competitiveness is when we begin to measure our success in life with competing with others. Now it's not about me becoming great is that I just have to be better than you in anything. It's not that I have to have money. 
I need to have more than you. It's not that I have to be smart. I got to be smarter than you. So life becomes this game that you're in a stadium with sometimes 10, sometimes 100, depending how many people you're playing with in your circle. And it becomes this competitive fight. Every day is the Super Bowl. Every day we're out there fighting. Who is better? You or me? Who is more successful? You or me? I got the edge here. I'm going to try to get the edge there. Right now you have it there, but I'm going to come. I'm coming. I'm going to get you soon. And we just start competing. And instead of measuring ourselves with ourselves and with what we could be, we measure ourselves with what the other person has. That's why very often we don't care about people far away, what they have. We don't even get jealous of them. Because they're not in our stadium. They could have whatever they want. Who cares? I don't care if another person has something. But the guy next door to me, we grew up together. We went to the same school. This guy, he couldn't pass one math test for 12 years. He failed every test. How does he have more money? He can't even add. I went to school. I went to college. I went to, who knows what I went to. How could it be? Can't believe it. So it's not that I don't have. How could he have more than me? Was he smarter than me? How could it be? And we spend our whole life competing in every area. Every area. Good things, not even good things. We're just constantly competing. Because we live our life in competition and we want the recognition constantly, that's what competition says. You need to be recognized as the winner. So when someone tells me that there's something wrong with me, like, you know, you get angry too much. That's a, that's a dig right there. That means I'm not as good as you. I'm not as good as her. I'm not as good as him. You're basically pointing to a blemish. You see, when I walk around, because I'm competitive, I want to make sure everyone thinks I'm perfect. Try to ask people, how are you doing? Great. How's life? Awesome. Let me tell you the truth. When they say awesome, they mean terrible. When they say great, it means bad. But nobody wants to say, unless you're their therapist or something, then they'll open up. Because we all like to put a front. The front is we are complete. Life is perfect. Because if I'm competing with you, why would I want to make you feel that I'm under you? So my front is always top. Someone comes and says, by the way, you're not top like you think. You're arrogant, A. B, you get angry. And you're ignorant too. Just, just for the record. And you're a terrible husband. Just saw another side point. All of a sudden, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you saying? So that you, what you're saying basically is, forget what you said, it's irrelevant. What you're saying is that I'm not as good as others around me. Hmm. Now you're fighting with me. That is why 
you will find the following response. Person says, Person says to her husband, You know, it'd be nice if you woke up from the nap. And you say, What? And you're so kind with your friends? What? Does that do anything? A wife will say to the husband, yeah, You could be nicer to my parents. Oh, you're so careful with all the mitzvot yourself? What? What does one have to do with the other? Nothing. Zero. You spoke about tefillah. She spoke about sinew. He's dealing with his parents. You're dealing with friends and other issues. What does the... Imagine I asked somebody, so how is the weather? And he says, yeah, green. What? What are you saying? What, what? We're not talking to each other. What, what are you talking about? How is that a response to my question? I told you something. You don't respect my parents. And you say, well, the other day, I saw you crossing a red light. What? How did that response answer my question? The answer is, that you have to read the Rashi. There is, in every person's words, the words, that's like the simple words that they say, but you have to look into inside the Rashi to understand what they mean. They never heard what you said. They heard, you're not a good person. So they felt below you. So what they do now? So I want to show you're not a good person either. You're also not a good person. So you're trying to lower me? I'm going to lower you more. So basically, now that I lowered you, I don't feel so good anymore. That's what's going on. So when it comes to real personal things, the competitive nature that we have inside of us doesn't allow us to hear what the other person is saying. Because automatically our kavod is being hit and we strike back. What about you? Who are you to say that? Oh, you're so perfect. You know how many things I have to clean up after your mess? As the Hazal say, there was a generation, they couldn't accept rebuke. And the way Hachamim said it was as follows. If a guy would tell his friend, Tol kisam, Mi ben shinecha. Guy would see his friend. He says, "You know, you have a splinter in your tooth. Maybe you want to take it out." He tells him, "Omerlo, tol kora mi ben anecha. You know, you have a big beam in between your eyes. Why don't you get rid of that one?" What are they trying to say? They're trying to say that if you point to a small thing, the other person points to a big thing. Because about my kavod, it's about my honor. You're trying to lower me. I'm going to lower you more so this way I could be one up. You have to be aware of that. When we get rebuke and we get upset, at least know why. Because you're feeling put down. It could be that's not what the person was trying to do. 
But that's the message you took. And if you feel that way, you can't accept the rebuke. There's another reason why we don't accept Tukhaha. Because we have something called in life habits. We are creatures of habit. Habits are very powerful. Habits are so powerful that even if a person is doing something that is absolutely destructive and they know it, and they're trying to get help, and they, they can't change. I can't say can't, but they have a very hard time to change. Habits are very difficult. A person who smokes for a number of years can't stop, even if they want to. They have a hard time. Any habit that we have in life, and it's not just dangerous habits, any habit. Habits are difficult to change. That's the reality of mankind. So when a person is told that they do something wrong, so generally you're hitting at their habits. So that person knows that they're going to have a very hard time changing who they are. So automatically there's a hostility. There's no habit issue with a shirt or the address. But when you tell something about you, that's something that you live with every second. So everybody, they know, how am I going to change that? So that's why you'll get comments like, this is who I am. Don't try to change me. Take it or leave it. I don't change you, you don't change me. Silly comments like that. What the person is saying is I don't want to hear you because it's too hard for me to make changes in my real life. I could turn and make a U-turn and find the other house. That I could do. No problem. But tell me that I've been doing something wrong for 20 years and now I should be changing that? That's very hard. I can't do that. So I don't, I don't want to accept what you have to say. You know, changing of habits is so difficult for every person. The Sefer Ikarim says that the reason why a baby cries right when they're born is because they changed their atmosphere. Even a baby already is crying because he's out of his environment. He says, that's why people don't want to leave this world. They don't want to die. Even if they're in pain, you'll see people holding on. They don't want to die. Why? Because they have a habit of living. Habits are very difficult to change. And that's why we have a hard time accepting rebuke. <coughs> you need to know the following words, which is the subject of today's class. I'm going to read for you a statement in the Gemara. And I believe we have to just take a few minutes to analyze it well, because it's talking to every one of us, because we need this very badly, especially in this generation. This is not a generation that's running to hear criticism. We have everybody massaging our egos. 
Every billboard is telling us how much they love us. Every advertisement is talking to our desires and how beautiful and how much they want to help us. The whole world is just shining its face on us. Nobody is running to hear criticism. But you should listen to the words of Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Who is Rabbeinu HaKadosh? Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was the one who put together all the Mishnayot. One of the greatest men that ever lived. He was one of the wealthiest men. He says like this. He asks a question. He says, Ezohi derech yeshara sheyabur lo ha'adam. He says, which is the straight road that a person should choose? Let's review that again. Which is the straight road? Obviously, there are crooked roads. So which is the straight road that a person should choose to be successful in life? Now, if anybody would ask me that question, I'd say, Rabbi, are you kidding? What kind of question is that? Which road? Torah? Mitzvot? What kind of question is that? What does he mean by that? Even the question doesn't make sense. So I'm going to explain to you that if there's somebody standing here in New York, in Brooklyn, New York, and somebody asks you, so tell me, how do you get to Florida? How do you get to Miami? And you go pointing south, that way. So really, you said the truth. But you didn't help the person. Because there's a lot of roads that you need to get on before you're able to actually get to Florida. So just answering, oh yeah, Torah, Mitzvot, it's beautiful. That's, that's the highway. But the question of Rabbi is, how do you get on the highway? What use is the highway if you don't know how to get on it? So he's asking, what's the derech yeshara? Could you tell me how to get on the highway? What do I have to have in my life? Which, re- which street should I be living on or taking so that I could be matzliach in my life? I want to live a successful life like everybody else here. I want to live a happy life. I want to have it all in my life. I want a life of Gan Eden in this world and for eternity. I want it all. What's the street? What am I driving on? Just tell me. Should I make a left on East 2nd, on East 3rd, on East 4th? Where? Because I don't want to be looking for something special in my life and take the wrong street. What a waste. You could have just turned on East 3rd. I got on East 4th. Mistake. That's what it would be saying. He says, I know you want greatness, but you got to choose the right road. So he says, what's the right road? Listen to these words. He says, Ye'ehav et ha-tochahot. You have to love criticism. You have to love it when someone rebukes you. Not just listen to it. See, he doesn't say, you should listen to rebuke. That's not a road. That's a good thing. It's not a road. A road is something you go on. When you love something, for example, I love to eat, so I go buy food. I don't wait for someone to bring me the food. I mean, if they bring me food, I'll also eat. 
but I love it so much, I'm going to get one. I love shoes, I'm going to go buy them. When I love something, I don't wait for it to come to me. When I love something, I make sure I go get it. Says Rabbeinu HaKadosh, you have to live your life with a love of Tuchachot. Me and you would have been satisfied if we could turn ourselves into a person who accepts Tuchachot. That would have been already a big deal. But Rabbeinu HaKadosh says, no, no, it's more than that. It's not enough. You have to love it. Meaning, you have to look for it. You have to ask for it. Everybody needs direction in life. There's nobody that could say, I'm above it. I'm smart enough. I grew up in the best house. I have so much experience. I know it all. No. Even David Melech, Allah Hashem, David Melech was a giant of a human being. And in Tehillim, at the end of the Alpha Beta, in 119, towards the end, he says, he says, I feel lost. Even David Melech, of course, on his level, can feel lost. It's part of humanity. It's part of being a human being. Is that you can be lost. You're lucky if at least you know you're lost. At least David Melech recognizes that he's lost. But there's nothing more lost than someone who doesn't even know they're lost. <coughs> Everybody needs to look for criticism because nobody's perfect. And everybody's in danger. And everybody could be doing the very things that they want the opposite results from. They're looking for a great marriage and doing everything opposite to get it. They're looking for a great child and raising them in every wrong way possible. It's not the goals that we're missing. It's the system. It's the road. We know the highway we want to be on. Everybody says, you want a family? Of course. What kind of family? A beautiful one. Very nice. What kind of kids? Great kids. That's everybody's that. That's the highway. Everyone wants to be on the highway. Every normal person, at least. Says Rabbi, but don't think getting on the highway is so easy. You need to know the road to get on that highway. Don't think the highway is there just because you want it to be there. And don't think you're getting on it just because you say it. Sometimes our talk is so big and so confident that we're saying, we're almost like, of course I'm going to get there. How's your marriage going to be? Ask every Hatan and Kabbalah, how's your marriage going to be? It's going to be Gan Eden. And of course, you show them a very big welcome laugh as if you're agreeing and you're laughing inside. Say, Gan Eden, let's see. Let's see how long Gan Eden is going to last. I'm more discouraging when I'm getting mad. But, but that's the truth. How long is Gan Eden last? What? Maybe, not even. It could be Gan Eden, don't get me wrong. It should be Gan Eden. But if you're on the wrong street, you're not getting to Gan Eden. 
as big and as much as you talk and as great and as much as you want, you're not getting there. Imagine a guy getting on the garden on the garden state parkway, but in the wrong road. He wants to get there. He knows he needs to get there. He's talking about the garden state. You're not getting there. There's a system. There's a system to life. So if you're not running, how could someone who's getting married not be running to ask somebody for tochaha? Please tell me what I do wrong. Mom, you know, you live with me every day. You know what I do wrong. She says, yes, I do. Could you please tell me what I shouldn't be doing with my wife? You know how many people asked their mother that before they got married? You know how many? Zero. <laughs> Zero. Yes. You're lucky if they write you a note. Thank you for the last 25 years. And by the way, when they write the note, they can only think of three lines to write. Don't forget the thank yous. You know me most, Mom, and I know you love me. Could you tell me what's wrong with me? Please tell me, Mom. Like, it's such an obvious thing to do. You're going into a new relationship, into a new home. You want to make it work. So just ask. Never happens. But Rabbi would say, oh, you want a great marriage? You have it to heart. You want to be on the road to great marriage? You need to run to ask someone to criticize you. You're raising a child? You want a great child? Really? You want a great family? That's so beautiful. I could just cry from that. But it's not going to help you. Why not running to people to ask them, how do I raise a child that in 20 years will make me proud? That will make himself proud? You know how many people would have benefited from that? You know how many of us are guilty in this? All of us. I'm not talking to strangers, not to each other. We don't do this. But that's what we're learning. We're here to learn. Yeah, <laughs> means you don't do anything in life important until you get on the road of asking someone to critique you. So simple. Put down your competition. Put everything down. Isn't something more important for you? Is there anything more important than success? in what you're doing? You have to love rebuke. You have to go to your rabbi and say, Rabbi, you're not rebuking enough. You're always telling us how good we are and how smart we are. And how good. Tell us, tell me what's wrong. Okay. <laughs> but that's the truth. Rabbi doesn't stop there. Look what he says. Rabbi says that so long as you're pursuing tochaha, look what happens to your life. Here's, look at this. You ready? Nahat ruach ba'a la'ala. You're going to bring nahat, pleasure into your life. You're going to bring good and blessings into your life. 
the story that happened with Moshe Rabbeinu. Here's a man, he's 81 years old. He just had the greatest year of any human on the planet and its history. He took out Am Yisrael from Egypt in the most spectacular way. He's talking to God like he's talking like I talk to you. He split the sea. He took him out of the most powerful nation in the world. He brought the Torah. He was by Har Sinai for 40 days in Shamayim with Hashem. That's a spectacular year. That's a year. And now he's leading Am Yisrael in the desert to go to the promised land. And then he gets a visitor. It's none other than his father-in-law. Imagine Yitro comes to visit his son-in-law. Yitro has been out. He has not been involved for over a year. He comes and he sees Moshe Rabbeinu sitting down and there's a line of people that are coming to speak with him. That's what Moshe did all day. He sat and people waiting to ask him questions. It's an exhausting job. People asking all types of questions about halakha, about shalom bayit, about hinuch, about whatever it is. If Moshe Rabbeinu was there, who are you asking? 
People are waiting all day online. So imagine dedicating your entire day to sit there and to answer questions. He comes and he sees him. Pasuk says that his father-in-law saw him, what he was doing. Vayomer, and he said to him, Ma hadavar hazeh asher ata oselam. What are you doing to these people? What? What am I doing to these people? I'm serving these people on my knees. What are we talking about? What are you doing to them? Why are you sitting and they're standing all day waiting for you? So Moshe told him, what do you mean? I didn't ask them to come to me. They're not coming to give me gifts. They need help. They're coming because they have questions. I'm sitting here answering their questions. He told them, Vayomer Hoten Moshe. Torah keeps repeating it. That not Yitro, Hoten Moshe, his father-in-law. Because we know the father-in-law situation sometimes a little complicated. His father-in-law tells him, Lotov Hadavar Asher Atause. You're not doing the right thing. I don't know what a father-in-law in today's world would have gotten for that. The general rule of father-in-law is don't talk. Don't talk. Don't say a word. Not with relevance to your daughter. Not with relevance to his life. Don't get involved. Yitro tells Moshe, you're not doing good. Imagine what he's doing. He's giving his life for the Jewish people. He's all day exhausted. He doesn't get a dollar from this. He's getting nothing from them. He doesn't, you're not doing good. Navoltibo, you're gonna wither. You know, you're not gonna make it. Gamata, gam ha'am. You're hurting yourself and you're destroying this nation. Let me give you advice. Imagine that guy comes and how about you give me advice? Do you know where I am? But do you know what I've been doing for the last year? Do you know I talk, I speak to God, hello? What are you talking about? You know, I call God, hi, and we talk. He tells him, let me, and he, who is he, by the way? He's the biggest idol worshiper of the time. So how many strikes he has against him? Father-in-law, big strike, number one. Idol worshiper, stranger, the difference between him and Moshe is, what are you saying? He says to him, Shema bekoli i'atzecha. Let me give you etza. Let me give you advice. By the way, this is like the first day he showed up. It's not like he started talking to him and gave him compliments. It's like the first thing. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Listen to these amazing words. And perhaps it's because of these words that Moshe Rabbeinu do is, Vayishma Moshe lekol hoteno. He listened to his father-in-law. He heard him. And he said, you know something? I hear. He asked Hashem. This is a good idea. Whatever advice he gave him, he heard. Unbelievable. That's called, You have to love Tochaha for that. And by the way, just as a side point, a leader's job at some point in his service, is to give to Ha'ah. 
That's one of his jobs. But you can't give tochacha unless you love to get tochacha. You cannot give other people criticism if you don't love to receive it. And perhaps that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader of Am Yisrael. He's the one qualified to be able to give tochacha. Because look at how he reacts to his father. If we would have been there, we would have been stunned. By the way, Moshe Rabbeinu was born from Tochacha. His whole birth was, to, was from Tochacha. Because his father Amram in Egypt was the Gadol of Egypt. The Gadol Hador. And after Paro made the decree to kill the boys, he said, there's no point in being married. What are we having children for? If they're going to kill them, I'm not staying with my wife. He divorced his wife. When the Jewish people saw Amram divorce his wife, they say, if he divorced his wife, we're divorcing too. Everyone is getting divorced. Who's having children? Who's bringing children to such a terrible situation? And who comes? Little Miriam comes and tells her father, Dad, you know, you're worse than Paro. Well, again, if your daughter would tell you that, what would you do? Paro only made a decree on the boys. You made a decree on everybody. You boys and girls. Paro is not a tzaddik. Who knows if his decree will ever last? You're a tzaddik. Your decree will last. Could you imagine? Amram, the Gadol Hador, he decided something. I'm sure he thought about it a long time. And now his little girl tells him, what does he do? He takes her back. And guess who's born? Moshe is born. Moshe is the child of Tochacha. He only was born because of Tochacha. And his life was lived accordingly. That life of Moshe and anybody that follows him. That's why it says, Oheb eta Tochachot. Notice, plural. The one who loves Tochachot. It means he loves to get it and he loves to give it. And they're connected. Because you can't give it until you know how to get it. Tochahot. We speak about Moshe Rabbeinu, but there's another Moshe that I want to tell you about. A Moshe that lived very close to us here in this city was the Gadol Ador in America. Where Moshe Feinstein, Zecher Tzadik Levacha, Big man. He was the man in America. Any question, any halacha, any dispute, or Moshe Feinstein was known and acknowledged by everybody as the Gadol. He has writings. We call them She'elotu Chuvot, where people wrote him questions and he would answer, sometimes very long answers very deep answers. Many books of She'elotu Chuvot by the name of Igrot Moshe, the letters of Moshe. Today, till today we study those letters. We see what he said. What did he mean by that? In one of his letters, letter number 96, in the first Halak, there's a man who writes him a question. But it wasn't really a question. 
was more of a rebuke. He wrote to Rav Moshe Feinstein that he saw the rabbi after candle lighting time. We know there's sunset, Shabbat, 18 minutes before, usually we have candle light and we accept Shabbat then. But the 18 minutes is still not Shabbat for those who didn't accept yet. There's an idea of adding to Shabbat. But it's not Shabbat yet. So this man saw Moshe Feinstein in a car after Hadlakat Nerot time. So if sunset was 5 and Hadlakat Nerot was 4.42, he saw him in the car 4.44, getting dropped off to the Bet Knesset in the Lower East Side. And he writes him a letter telling the rabbi that he believes it's a Hilul Hashem that he shouldn't be doing that. And whatever he wrote there, I don't have the actual letter. He doesn't quote the whole letter. He just mentions that this that you rebuked. So he writes him back. He writes him back. Now, if you're the Gadol Hador, and you got a letter like that, and by the way, he goes and explains in the letter back to him why what he was saying is nonsense. That's not true. There's no Hayu Hashem. It's not Marit Ain. It's not nothing like that. But in the beginning of the letter, he writes him as follows. Neheneti me'od. He says, I was so happy. Asher ma'alat kevodo. That your, your, he's calling you, your honor. Nizdarez. You were so zealous. Lekayem mitzvah tochaha. That you came to fulfill the mitzvah of giving rebuke. Lefidato. According to what you thought. Uchuot het hen hen means basically, and I clap to you. Thank you. He said, I'm not particular about this. He says, Hashem. And he says, and Bezat Hashem, he says, I will never again go in a car after candlelight time. In a car. I'll never do it again. Even though I'm going to write to you right now that there's not even a little bit of Isur. Even though there's nothing wrong at all. But because you wrote me, I'm never going in a car again at that time. Thank you. He says, Yeditcha. He says in the end, he writes the end of the thing, I bless you in the zechut of the mitzvah of rebuke that you gave me. He says, and his name Moshe Feinstein. That's you have to chachot. I don't know if it was somebody today we would have ripped the guy. We'd send them a letter we posted in the streets. Yeah, I'm you don't know anything. Who are you? What are you talking about? At the end of the day, you know, it's interesting. There there are companies out there in the business world that you can hire them and they will come into your facilities and they will study your company and they will give you a report of what you need to fix in your company they charge millions of dollars some of these companies they come in and they tell you you're doing great here but terrible here you gotta fix that department you need more leadership there 
It, could you imagine the CEO of this company sits down with this guy after a couple of months, says, uh, so tell me, what did you find? He says, everything is perfect. He says, are you sure? He says, well, listen, the truth, I don't want to say. You don't want to say, are you sketching me? I'm paying you millions of dollars. Tell me what's wrong with my company. Yet the same guy goes home and his wife tells him something wrong and he goes crazy. How does that make sense? He's paying millions of dollars and he's begging the guy to tell him what's wrong with his company. His wife volunteers, it's free, no charge. And he's running the other way. Why? How does it make sense? The same guy. And I'm going to tell you an unfortunate answer. It's an unfortunate answer. The unfortunate answer is that sometimes in life we want more in the financial end than making ourselves better people. You see, I love money and therefore I'm willing to take all the knockdowns. I'm willing because I love money. Just tell me what's wrong so I can make more money. But we're not as focused on our growth. We're not as focused on our values, on our quality. So it's not that important to us and we get upset by it. But we must remind ourselves there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater in becoming the great you. You should pay someone to rebuke you. And the one who's speaking to you today, I can say proudly, for 10 years, I paid someone every month. $500 a month. Someone in yeshiva. To tell me, I told him, I'm making a deal with you. I'll tell you a story. I walked in one morning to the yeshiva. It wasn't 10 years, it was 7 years. I walk into the yeshiva, and there's news, there's like a whole discussion about some well-known person, a rabbi, who did something maybe wrong, and it was like a whole thing. Someone I respected. And that day, my habluta wasn't there. So I sat down by my desk, and I'm thinking, like, how could it be? It doesn't make sense. I said, this man, how would he do that? I said, this man, when he was 18, Certainly in his time, wasn't popular to learn. He could have made money, he could have went to the business world, a smart person. He decided to give up so much of Olam Hazeh to go learn Torah, to teach Torah, to help people. How could he end up doing this, if it's true? And then I realized as I'm sitting there, good thing he didn't come, so I'm still thinking. I said, you know what? If it could happen to him, it could happen to anybody. I'm sure he didn't realize so I'm talking about that. He comes for half a time. I told him, what do you? Let's, just, let's make a deal. I knew he needed some money anyway. I said, listen. He said, I'm willing to give you $500 a month. He said, well, thank you. I said, but on one condition. I said, if you ever see that I'm doing something wrong, or even think I'm doing something wrong, whether it's here in my private life, I said, you see me every day. I said, you have to tell me. Never think for a second, oh, I can't tell him. He's too sensitive. He's not going to. You have to tell me. He says, 
Okay, I said one more condition. And if you don't tell me, then any Avera that will come from it, from now, the alarm bag is on your head. <laughs> Listen, $500, a lot of money. You have to earn it. Truth. The true story. It was Mechabel. Huh? I'm perfect. You didn't, you, you didn't have anything to say. You're just saying. You're just saying. <laughs> but that's called Yehav Tochahot. You gotta go pay someone. Now, if you're married, you don't have to pay. It, it, it comes. It comes free. You're good. That's the truth. You're getting a gift. Imagine, think next time someone tells you something in the house, I have to pay for that. That's a real thing. Ramil Allah used to say that sometimes you get to haha, but from the side. Meaning, the person who is telling you doesn't care about you so much or is not saying it in that way, they just got angry. You know, most times in life, people will never tell you. They will never tell you what they don't like about you. Just know that. Most people, most situations will never tell you. They can see it straight on your face and they'll never tell you. Ever. But sometimes, they get angry. And they get angry at you. And they lose it. And all of a sudden, it's like the sewer opened and you can't stop it. And they say, oh, and by the way, I wanted to say this a long time ago, but I might as well say now. And all of a sudden, your whole life story is in front of you and they're knocking you left and right. Now, most people in that situation get angry can't believe what they're saying. I can't believe what you're saying. Then you knock them down. But meanwhile, you just got a gift. You got a gift because nobody will ever tell you that. Because people are scared to tell you. But when they got angry, they lost it. And when they lost it, they said things they would never usually say. But lucky for you, you got a gift. They told you straight, you are selfish. Ooh, ouch. That hurts. No one ever told me that. Consider what they're saying. Don't get upset so fast. Take the gift. You don't have to agree to every tochacha, by the way. It could be a person who gives you tochacha, they're wrong. But consider it. Listen to what they're saying. Listen. You don't lose by listening. I'll just tell you one more thing. In order to get tochacha, the Pasuk says, Ozen shoma'at tochachat hayim, a ear that wants to listen to tochacha, bekerev hachamim talim. You have to be around wise people. Not every day, every second necessarily. But you got to put yourself around people and you have to ask them to be honest with you. I wouldn't do this at home. It's not good for Shalom, but I would not get anybody in the house involved in this. This is an out-of-home experience. But it would be great if you could take 
someone that you respect, someone above you, maybe your mother, maybe your father, maybe your uncle, maybe someone that you look up to, that you learn with. Say, you know, I want to tell you something. I'm not willing to pay yet for this, but I really would love if you tell me what I can do better. What do you see? And don't go to a stranger in Africa. They don't know you. You gotta go to someone that knows you. That's Bekerab Hachamim Talim. Be around wise people. Ask them. The second thing is, Get a good friend. A good friend that cares about you and knows about you and sees you all the time and take him to the side and say, listen to me. I know it's uncomfortable. I know. But next time you see something that you feel I'm handling it the wrong way, I'm not dealing with my husband the right way or my children the right way or with my friends the right way, I know it's uncomfortable, but please, you have to tell me. I want to hear. Please tell me. Tell me. Tell me what you think. Be honest with me. That's what friends are for. Friends aren't just to have coffee with. Friends are to make us tov. But you got to ask for it. This is not a generation where people are volunteering from their own mind when they're not angry on their own to give rebuke. Because nobody likes rebuke today. You have to ask for it. And the last thing is to learn Musar. Like Shlomo Melech says, Ohev Musar, Ohev Da'at. You have to learn Musar. Today there is no excuse. You go to a bookstore, they have every book that you will need on Musar, in Hebrew, in English, probably other languages too. <coughs> They're books of Musar. They're beautiful. Mesilat Yesharim, and many other ones, they're contemporary books. <coughs> books of Musar are so special. You put them next to you. You have five minutes, you read them. You have to read them an hour a day. A few minutes. But when you read them, imagine someone talking to you. Not someone else, you. Take it to heart. Have a book of Musar in your home. And read it daily, every day. You know, the Gaon Vilna. There hasn't been a rabbi, according to some, like the Gaon Vilna in a thousand years. Man, it was a giant. He used to have a rabbi called the Magid Medubna would come daily to give him Musar. The Hida writes that the Maharal would have someone every day come and give him Musar. You're not getting somebody today like that. But you have books. Have a book of Musar and learn it. Underline it. Write a note on it. See how it applies to you. The only thing that's going to happen when you have a rabbi or a mentor telling you, when you have a friend that alerts you, I wouldn't tell every friend. But tell one or two. And when you have a book that you're learning, what's going to happen is your company called you the most important business in your life is you, is only going to get higher. Your stocks are getting higher. Your marriage is getting higher. Your family is getting higher. You're getting higher. But you have to look for it. 
יאהב את התוכחות. says the halot levavot, that's one of the ways Hashem teaches us. He sends us rebuke from here, from there, from this person, from that person. Of course, if we're not willing to listen, the lesson went on deaf ears. There needs to be another lesson. But if we would just learn from what's being said, we would have such a better result in everything that we do. Ye'ehav etatokhachot. Love rebuke. Love to hear what you can be better at. It's only good for you. Put down the competitive nature. Put down the hostilities. Put down the pride. You could change. Don't worry about not being able to change. You could do it. We're here to change. We're here to become something. But you have to listen. And you have to be aware. Don't walk around without seeing the reality. Be'ezrat Hashem, you should have Hatzlachah. And all that you do, Baruch Allah, Amen, Amen.